Hi, I'm Leisha in Bangalore, India. And I'm Steph in Toronto, Canada, the traditional territory of the Anishinaabe, the Haudenosaunee, the Huron-Wendat, and the Mississaugas of the Credit First Nation. And you're listening to Trash Bags Podcast. It's Trash Bags Podcast. We're two new trash bags and chatting. Hello. Hello. How's it going? Good, good, good. It's 11.41 and cooling off for the evening. How are you? It's 9.11 in the morning. Nothing bad. It's just the time. It's nice and sunny. <laughs> oh, who is that giggling in the background? Could that be our very first guest ever? Mika Champagne! Oh, the crowd goes wild! Hi, everybody! <laughs> I'm on the podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, we are joined today by our first ever guest. This is Mika Champagne, who is our very lovely sound editor, makes us sound beautiful, makes us sound crisp. Thank you for joining us today, Mika. Yeah, totally. This is the, I think, the first time I can actually talk back to you guys. uh, And that's incredibly (laughs) exciting for me. (laughs) i have so many things to say all the time and it's nice to uh, be able to say them in real time nice and how could we not bring you on (laughs) one of the episodes and we love to hear you talk yeah i'm 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 just so excited to to be here i uh i've uh i think i i manifested it i think as soon as we started talking about season two and doing this podcast again i was like i want to be on this (laughs) i want to come and talk (laughs) i I mean it's happening we're glad you're here but um how do you know steph oh uh yeah we and steph met uh through theater school actually we met at uh the humber uh technical College of Theater, I guess, is the official name. Um, mm-hmm. And we did a, a two a two year program together, um, of some of the most intense schooling in my whole life. I think. Oh, definitely, definitely. Yeah, yeah I remember I did a post grad program afterwards, and they like sat us down. They were like, "Get ready, this is going to be so intense." And I was like. This is a hilarious walk in the park compared to what I just went through. Like, no. Yeah, it's definitely intense. I remember, like, looking at our course load every semester, and it would be like, 110%. (laughs) You'd be like, cool. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. So, and you've been friends ever since? Yeah. say so. Yeah, I think we, <laughs> I think our our friendship started in the props room. We both were really into like building weird machines and building things and just kind of creating with our hands. And mm-hmm. uh I think our friendship started by being like, "Oh, hey, that's a cool thing you made." Um mm-hmm. what if what if I what if I did this and then you could do this and then I think our our friendship kind of is always a, has centered around um helping each other make weird and cool art yeah and you just like always being like 
I don't know, a yes man for projects, you know, like there's certain people you can turn to and you know that they're going to jump on like, and you've kind of always definitely been one of those kind of people, you know, I've approached you with other dumb things. <laughs> that time I tried to start a movie while being in a van <laughs> and you said, yeah, sure. I'll play a scientist character in a script you wrote as an unskilled writer. <laughs> <laughs> a script you wrote in in a like two day period while you weren't sleeping. Yeah, trying to convert a van while working two jobs. <laughs> yeah, I was like, yeah, that sounds like a good idea. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that footage will make it into the world one day. Who knows? Oh, please, God. please don't ever release it. I think my acting is is some of the worst work I've ever done. <laughs> You know, I've okay, never even I watched it. I want to do this. <laughs> it's, it's not good. <laughs> exactly why I want to see it. <laughs> I, it's so funny because I have a lot of projects where people will be like, oh, I really want to see it. And you're like, no, you don't. <laughs> it's it's not good. Like, it's not that like, oh, it's so bad. It's good again. It's like, it's so bad. It's not entertaining. <laughs> it's just bad. <laughs> oh well, you know. All right. So Mika, you said you had you love talking. You have so much to say. <laughs> I um but I, you know what I love to know? How do you define your sexual or gender identity? That that's a like super multi-layer question. I know like when we originally were talking about the topic for this episode and we were talking about me coming on, I was like, I just recorded a podcast about being queer spawn, being like a child of queer parents. I was like, I really want to talk about queerness. I feel like a lot of my projects tend to focus around uh, being a child of queer spawn and I don't get to talk mm -hmm. about my own queerness a lot. Um, and so it's nice to like, have a little bit of an opening to do that i would say i i came out um when i was like 14 i originally okay. came out as gay i was like that's definitely what i am I, uh that's it and i think i i came out as gay because my school was like very intolerant i went to school mm -hmm. uh, in toronto um but my school was like not a cool place to be openly gay and i was the only openly gay kid that for the four years cool. i went to high school <laughs> yeah it was it was <laughs> fun um and so i think i like i came in as gay because i was like fuck mm -hmm. the haters basically i was like this mm -hmm. is and and when i got out of high school i was mm -hmm. like oh i don't need to defend this in the way that i yeah. i feel like i i had to uh, a year ago and so i kind of shifted that mm -hmm. to being bi and i think i mm -hmm. spent so long okay or pan really pan is kind mm -hmm. of more where i center but i and i think you know throughout the pandemic i i had a very similar thing happen to me where i was like oh <laughs> maybe i'm not a cis male <laughs> Like maybe I'm like non-binary and maybe that's like kind of how I've always been. And I think yeah. I spent like a really long time defending my 
sexual orientation that I mm-hmm. I kind of buried my gender orientation, I think, a little bit. Yeah. I was like, no, 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 that's fine. <laughs> Let's not think or talk mm-hmm. about that. And I think mm-hmm. I had a lot of, like, like, I was a very, like, as an openly gay kid, you can get away with, like, switching pants with your, like, female friends and, like, you know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? Like, at lunch, like, you're, yeah. like, can change clothing and kind of get away with and androgyny. Like, oh, mm-hmm. he's so flamboyant. Exactly. That's why yeah. he's dressed like that. Yeah, exactly. Sort of. And 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 I think it took me a long time to be like, oh, no, <laughs> that was me being like, oh, this is how I, this is how I feel good. Mm-hmm. Like, this is incredibly gender euphoric for me. And I, like, yeah. to the point where, like, I fully remember, I think a, a friend of a friend of a friend may have come out as something along the lines of gender non-binary, like, years ago. This is, like, still in high school. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I don't get they, them. Like, that's stupid. <laughs> and I think I was holding on to a lot of that, like, internalized gender shit. Yeah. yeah. And and I think I've I held on to that for a really long time, mm-hmm. um, and yeah, and I think it was during like this pandemic, actually sitting with myself, yeah, and being like having to like be in my own apartment by myself and just like me and my partner, mm-hmm. and being like, oh yeah, that's that's what that was, and that's what that is. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's been like like really nice and then uh yeah and then i came out i came out as gender non-binary like i don't know like three months ago yeah that's pretty recent yeah Mm. i would say and and it's like i still there's some people in my life who still don't know and it's (laughs) i feel like this is part of the coming out process that no one fucking tells you about is that like you have to come out to everyone in your life or you don't have to but you know what i'm saying yeah. you there are people you want to come out to but um nobody keeps a list and so it's i oh. often i often forget who i've come out to and who i haven't <laughs> and sometimes people are annoyed if you come out to them twice you're like hey i'm gender non-binary and they're like yeah dude you told me like yesterday they're like all oh, right <laughs> fuck <laughs> Sorry, I'm gender non-binary. Also, I have a bad memory. (laughs) (laughs) Also, I'm an ADD idiot. (laughs) (laughs) And it feels weird to keep like an itemized list of everyone you've told and haven't told on your phone. (laughs) Like, or like in in a notebook. So I don't. But then I fully like the other day, a very good friend of mine, I was like wearing a dress in my backyard and my partner was like using my pronouns which are they them and my friend had to fully be like are you did you come out or something i was like oh fuck i didn't tell you (laughs) (laughs) well when we met up um recently me you and your Mm -hmm. partner and Mm -hmm. we were all hanging out and um i mean like you have spoken with me and Leisha about how like the weekends are your queer time where you can like really dress up and sort of express yourself. And I had seen you sort of more dressed up, but it didn't necessarily phase me as like something that was like particularly different because I've always seen you as a very expressive person with your style. Mm-hmm. And then like, I think I said like he about you and then your partner was like, Oh, well, 
Mika over there, they are doing something. And like, I definitely caught it. And my brain just sort of had this glitch of like, did I miss that Mika came out? Did, did something happen there? And I was yeah. just like, I'm just going to not mention it and just like try and mentally transition over to they, them pronouns in the middle of this hangout session. <laughs> like, I'm and then like came home and immediately messaged Leisha and was like, by the way, Mika came out as gender non-binary and like, we need to start using the appropriate pronouns now. <laughs> I, I feel so bad every time because I really do try to like, you know, there are people who are important to me, like like you, that I'm like, oh yeah, I'll tell them right away, and then, I don't know, you get busy and shit. <laughs> <laughs> well, so, like, that's a thing, too, though, is, like, you could have told me, and both of us just forgot. <laughs> yeah. Because, oh, yeah. I'm For sorry, sure. but I also have a terrible memory, so I will try and respect you, you being collectively anyone who tells me anything, <laughs> but, like, I will probably forget anything you've ever told me. Yeah, I have a bad memory. No, absolutely. Like I, I do too. It, I honestly, <laughs> if I ever come out again, I'm gonna keep out a keep a come out journal because it, <laughs> it 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 would just help the whole process go way smoother. <laughs> like a wedding guest list, but for everyone you have to come out to. <laughs> Uh, Weird so, Aunt Susan? Are we doing Weird Aunt Susan? No, we'll just leave her out. <laughs> um, I do kind of want to backpedal the conversation a little bit, if sure. I may. Um, you had said that you felt kind of quite comfortable when you were younger coming out as gay and, you know, sort of playing around with that sort of side of your queer identity, your sexual orientation, but then your gender journey happened quite a bit later. And I'm sort of wondering if for you that think you think that may have been because, you know, I'm sort of tying this in my own brain of, you know, uh, female presenting people and female assigned at birth people. Typically, you know, there's that whole idea of like experimenting in college. And like, that's when a lot of like women realize that they like find their queerness. Whereas for men, typically you see you know, there's, there's more of that, like, hard masculinity of, like, no, I must defend my masculinity. And I'm sort of wondering if for you, you think that came into play at all, because you did come from a very queer family, if I may say, very colorful family. Um, And so just wondering if, like, sort of the societal pressures of, like, manhood were sort of, if you think that was maybe the wall you were fighting there? Yeah. <laughs> yes and no. <laughs> I think like toxic masculinity has ruined the party for pretty much everybody all the time. <laughs> and Fair. so to like so to be like um uh no, toxic masculinity had nothing to do with it is <laughs> is just a bold-faced lie 100%. Mm-hmm. Um but uh yeah, I th- I it's definitely like I think to all those like really butch dudes, I was definitely defending a lot about my like gender presentation, which was very queer, but I was always fairly centered in, oh, I'm, I'm completely male. And that felt right. Um, Mm -hmm. and kind of what it, what it was. And I think like, uh, yeah, I do come from a very like, queer household 
like my I have two moms and my dad I don't think he's ever come out but I think he f- is definitely flirts with the spectrum mm-hmm. um and uh but they're old school gay like my mom was like like in Toronto and an out lesbian in the 90s you know and and in in the 80s so I think there wasn't a lot of conversation in that time around gender as much. Mm-hmm. Like there was, of course, there's always been trans people and there's always been um, gender non-binary people. I think there just wasn't a larger community uh, conversation around that sort of thing like uh, in terms of the gay community. And I think that like, Like, my mom, I had to explain being non-binary to my mom the most Mm. when I came out versus pretty much anybody else. Yeah. And, uh, and, and, you know, and that, and I think that is, is part of it. Um, yeah, and I, and I just, again, I think I buried a lot of leads in my own brain. Whether that be because I kind of internalized a lot of that stuff, I think that like to I definitely was trying to prove that I definitely spent a lot of time trying to prove that I was like man enough, you yeah. know like I definitely and I still kind of get into that attitude sometimes at mm-hmm. work. Um, yeah, which you do work in a very male-dominated sort of cis hetero male-dominated <laughs> field. <laughs> totally, absolutely. Mm-hmm. I, I, yeah, I, uh, I'm a technician. I'm, I, uh, an active working, uh, film and theater technician, and it's a very male-dominated. It's a very like straight male-dominated field. Mm-hmm. Um. And and I find it to be incredibly homophobic. Um, like I was on a gig. This is a couple of years ago, but I have a a hat that I picked up at a at Pride a couple of years ago that just says Gender Freedom Club. How I didn't immediately yeah. go. How <laughs> how are you not non-binary already? Um, <laughs> I, I can't. I can't fucking tell you, <laughs> but this mm-hmm. is years before. Um, and it just said gender freedom club and it was a toque. And so I wore it to a gig, not thinking about it. It was like five in the morning and we were fixing a, a, a big Christmas tree downtown. Mm-hmm. And just one of my crew leaders just goes, what the fuck is gender freedom club? <laughs> what do you mean gender freedom? And I'm like, Man, it's like five in the morning. I, I do you really yeah. want to hear my like gender dissertation right now? <laughs> like, because I could give it. To, and so I started into it, and he was like, "Yeah, yeah, whatever." I was like, "So you didn't really want to hear the answer?" Yeah, it's and like, everyone, if, if you're are, approaching like, this with like actual curiosity, then like we can have a conversation. But if you're approaching this already from a side of I don't agree, then yeah. like. Why would I want to have this conversation, especially at five in the morning at work? Like, yeah. So he just wanted to call I, you out. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. But I, and I feel like that's a a big part of the culture too, and like even 
uh, you know, in, in workplaces more recently, I find a lot of people like, um, my cousin is, uh, came out, uh, as trans several years ago. And so we often joke about gender a lot. And so he, his, his joke when he's making fun of, uh, people making fun of his transness is they always go to like, oh, you're, I identify as an attack helicopter. And like, that's their big, like, like point of like, oh, I got you. <laughs> and I feel like my coworkers. It's so dumb. It's dumb. Like, so dumb. Or it's like, or it's like, I identify as like, I identify as Wednesday. It's like, all right, whatever, man. And I think my coworkers do that a lot. Like, mm. they're kind of constantly making those jokes. Mm-hmm. And I, like, it, it, and I'm not out at work for that particular reason. For that reason. And it's just, it's, it doesn't create an environment where you're like, do you know what would be really cool? Trying to convince a bunch of, like, 40-year-olds <laughs> that they should use they, them pronouns while also trying to drive a lift around a bunch of sets. <laughs> <laughs> but then like, this is the... Reason why male uh, dominance still persists because it's so tiring for yeah. us to convince them. Otherwise, mm-hmm. totally. Yeah. And like, and and I also get the the huge benefit of being able to present male when I'm not uh, kind of having my mm-hmm. queer uh, weekends. Yeah. And, Which and, is also, you know, but that's a luxury I I I get right, mm-hmm. um, and it, it's a huge privilege I get, and yeah. so I I I definitely recognize that that I get a choice, yeah. Um, which not you know not a lot of my community do, but that is out of necessity. Uh, if you were given a choice to be yourself. All the time, I'm sure you wouldn't present yourself as somebody else, right? As, no, you know, yeah. No, I, I, uh, and I'm thinking about like taking steps to rectify that. It's just also like a really new transition for me, right? And mm-hmm. so I think I'm like, you know, there's always that trepidation when mm-hmm. it's new to make waves um, with yeah. a thing. And I think, like, I that definitely was how, how it was when I first came out uh, with my sexual orientation. And it got to a point where I was like, fuck it, I'm, <laughs> I'm gay as shit, and you have to deal with it. <laughs> and uh, I'm, I'm sure it'll be the same uh, for me with the non-binary thing. I'm sure in a year I'll be like... <laughs> I'm not a man, and you have to deal with that. Yeah. Yeah. So, like, it almost sounds like, not to put words in your mouth, but, like, to to be sort of out and talking about it and be, like, that person in the workplace, does it almost feel like almost that imposter syndrome of, like, I don't want to be the representative because, like, I don't know how to represent this? And, like, I don't know. Um, no, I think I, I, I hear you. I, I think it's partly because I've experienced a lot of homophobia in my life, whether Mm -hmm. it's due to 
my mother's queerness, which I got a lot in like school, in like elementary school. Um, I, I got bullied a lot for my parents' queerness um, and for my, my family's uh, queerness. And then in high school, I got bullied for my own queerness. And I think a lot of that kind of informs the sa- safety mechanisms in my own head to be a little bit guarded. Mm. Um, of course, and when you're saying that you do work with people who have already expressed these sort of like homophobic or anti-queer feelings and sentiments, then yeah. of course there's going to be a bit more trepidation for coming out in front of them all. Totally. And I think like, I don't think it would be a big deal. <laughs> it just, I think, feels like a big deal in my head. And, uh, yeah, and I've just, like, experienced a lot of, like, whether it be, like, kind of microaggression, um, but I've also experienced a lot of violence, um, due to that. Um, like, I have been physically attacked. I've had beer bottles thrown in my head, um, throughout the years. And so I think there's sometimes a, a, a physical stop in my brain that's like, yeah, maybe not. <laughs> maybe we mm-hmm. don't um, uh, do that. Because I think, like, you know, when you feed that anxiety, it's easy to let it slip back into you. Mm-hmm. And it, it's also partially like, I'm fucking exhausted. Mm-hmm. I don't want to add another thing I have to be constantly on top of. Yeah. Yeah. Um but again, I, I have imagine. like an extreme amount of privilege. There's a lot of people out there who don't get that. Um mm-hmm. they don't get to choose. True. Um they have to be out. Um to to exist. Yeah. Um and I, I do imagine, uh, speaking as you know, someone who's pretty straight, um, that that hesitation and that trepidation is why so many queer people stay closeted for so long, whether that be into their childhood, into their adulthood, into their elder years. Like There are a lot of people we know that do stay in the closet for as long as feels safe for them. Yeah. It's that that trepidation you speak of. Oh, absolutely. And I like I think it's so easy to especially when you're at the beginnings of it to be like, "Oh, that was one bad turn. Okay, let's not try that again." Mm-hmm. Um, but I think I've had like a really phenomenal um response from I think the people in my life. And so that's kind of pushing me to bring that further. Um, and I'm also now I'm I'm no longer uh, a freelancer, or at least to the same extent. So I have a little bit more of a like network 
of anti-discrimination policies that could back me up in a in a very um in a pinch, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, not to say that I think they w- would be a, a very effective, <laughs> but mm-hmm. that's a whole. That's like a safety net of yeah some sort. Yeah, that's a di- that's a much different conversation, but mm-hmm. but yeah, and I and I think you know, I think when I am ready, I will kind of forge a path to make that happen at, at work. Um, nice. But yeah, you Which is of course what we need in any and all spaces is that first representation is that first, those first people coming forward to say like enough is enough. Yeah. You know, we can't have this sort of discrimination and whether that be from a gender non-binary person yourself defending gender non-binary people or you know it could be a cisgendered person standing up for a trans person or you know a, an asian person standing up for a black person like we do always need people standing up for others when you know people are standing around outright well and, and shit <laughs> yeah and one everyone is like oh i don't know how to be a good ally you're like well that that that's your moment buddy like and mm-hmm. I, I struggle with this too in terms of intersexuality and and i find my workplace is very sexist and mm-hmm. i have a really hard time like speaking out against that and like calling people on it and i'm really mm-hmm. trying to like actively push myself to be like hey that was a really sexist comment mm-hmm. or like what a about that comment made you think it was funny. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that that's kind of as allies and as people who are trying to make spaces comfortable for everybody and ourselves is we have to do mm-hmm. that. We have to um, actively be involved in, in conversations. Um mm-hmm. It just makes us targets, right? Especially if you are, oh, that fucking weird queer guy keeps yelling at me because I call chicks mm-hmm. hot. Well, maybe I won't hire him. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? It's like, yeah. It's like yeah, cool. For sure. It's c- cool. Not only did you misgender me, but you also fired me because I called you an asshole. And like, because you were doing the sexist act that should actually be the yeah. act that's called into question. Totally, totally. Mm-hmm. Not yeah. to be like, but, woe is me, but like, mm-hmm. it's just the truth but of like, it. But well, like, yeah, like, call it out when it's there, you know. This is the... Um, and I do... Yeah, sorry. Uh, yeah, I was... I was just, yeah, tell me, tell me, you tell me. <laughs> uh, I was just going to say, I think that you brought up a good point of like a way to sort of address things is that people do often make jokes at other people's expense. And, Mm -hmm. you know, there is the whole kind of bullshit thing of like comedy's dead. Now you can't laugh at anything, but I do think that is sort of a good moment to call people out on something. So there was a time when I was um, talking with some neighbors and the one guy was like, I don't know, he's talking about something and going on and blabbering. And then, made some joke about like his sister um 
like seeing another woman or something. And I was like, and was like really laughing about it. He thought it was like quite hilarious. And he didn't understand why I was laughing. And I was just sort of said like, so you, you think that the concept of her being a lesbian is funny? Like, I don't understand what the joke is here. And I just like genuinely explained to him that like, what you're saying isn't a joke. Like you're just not understanding someone's life and their partner. I'm like, you're fine sexualizing them, especially like lesbians specifically get very sexualized in porn, but you can't see it as a valid life. And like, I don't want to say lifestyle because that sounds very like you chose to be a lesbian and you didn't. Um, but like, it is kind of in sort of through that conversation of me being like, explain where the joke is here. I think he came to the realization of like, oh, actually her being a lesbian isn't a punchline. That's just her life. You know? Yeah. And that was a clear. Thought. No, totally. <laughs> totally. I think like often. Nothing I say is ever a clear thought. Me neither. <laughs> I think often like our lives are 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 made to be a punchline. Um especially like I think a lot of the times like just we're erased as queer spawn too from the queer community and like I think I'll I'll, I'll circle back to that but I just wanted to in terms of like people um kind of making a joke out of things I was on site the other day and one of my coworkers just went, oh, you're tightening that clamp like a girl. And so somebody else went like, hey, man, we can't say that anymore. And I was like, yay, a triumph. And 30 <laughs> seconds later, somebody else went, no, we have to say tighten that. Cl- you tighten that clamp like an LGBTQ plus oh. person. Oh, and I was like, man, and casual homophobia. Yeah. <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> yeah. I was like, we were so close. <laughs> Sexism or homophobia, choose your battle. Yeah. It's like, ah, <laughs> uh, which poison? Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, and I, I it, it's just so funny that like, that's the, that's what people find funny. It's like, you could just be funny. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like you're different <laughs> you're like i don't see how that's at all remotely funny mm-hmm. it's like yeah man i know <laughs> you make it painfully clear to me i'm aware um, lisha was there something you were gonna say yeah i was just gonna say um if you're a minority you know i have faced this problem like you were saying earlier uh, when you're mm-hmm. at work, you have to pass, you have to behave, you have to, you know, make sure you don't offend them and you get the job and you hold on to the job by not, you know, showing yourself. Um, I would I, I would have to face the same issues as an immigrant as well. You know, it's not an easy yeah. thing. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I'm always worried about <laughs> losing my job or, you know, offending them or, you know, like, it's it's a necessity i need that job but can i just be myself and uh mm. yeah it's exhausting it's exhausting to yeah, have totally. to make a political yeah. statement every time you just you're yourself or you mm-hmm. have to explain yourself like you were saying earlier you know 
just why can't people just open their mind i wanted to uh, mention this in my religion we have this um, idea of non binary from many from millennia so there is this god who is half male and half female so the it's it's very natural to be varying extents of feminine and masculine and that concept was, was very naturalized and this is how we promote concepts in our religion we have a god for every you know little thing that's because we we are encouraged to respect that idea encouraged encouraged to um implement that idea for ourselves but after colonialism um after india was uh-huh. colonized people were uh, completely brainwashed and you know their minds were changed to believe that queer is bad and to this day in the society we are shunned but the religion is saying a whole different thing so the idea of mm-hmm. being non binary and queer is so natural but it's all erased mm-hmm. well and i think you see and that in a lot of like a lot of cultures a lot of cultures yeah. before colonialism mm. yes is you see that con- like those concepts come up again and again and again mm-hmm. of mm-hmm. that like shared kind of a splitting of male and female and that energy mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. um and i think like colonialism has crushed that in so many cultures um and taken away that in in i think a lot of spaces and we're still feeling the repercussions of that yeah. um like mm-hmm. i think we've always been here queer people have always been here like it's not like i think some i i hear this all the time where it's like oh so many people are non-binary now well <laughs> no <laughs> people were uh, always, always non-binary but now we can just talk about it <laughs> technically Openly. everybody are non-binary yeah. yeah 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 but it's like or it's like oh wh- how are there so many trans people now well <laughs> they were just all closeted before yeah yeah they just didn't you know like they just lived their lives un- inauthentically mm-hmm. in bodies and in ways that felt horrible yeah. that were mm-hmm. not them that 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 never made them uh, whole and then you're mm-hmm. also like oh but why is like the queer suicide rate so high <laughs> you're like hi you <laughs> i wonder why <laughs> we tell them they can't be themselves but then we also wonder why they appear and then we wonder mm-hmm. why they're unaliving themselves <laughs> yeah. it's like it's <laughs> just such a like weird cycle of, of like i just don't understand um but also get the fuck out <laughs> yeah yeah but also don't but also out. i'm gonna literally scream in your face to go die and then uh, wonder well, what happened <laughs> <laughs> yeah mm-hmm. 
But Mika, tell us about yeah. your family, your colorful family. And also, the idea of queer spawn was very new to me. I I learned about it only after talking to you. That's a, I would say, a relatively new term. Hmm. Um, I'll talk about the creation of queer spawn because I'm sure it came out of a bunch of different places. But for me, and I think for a lot of Toronto-based people, it came out of uh, one particular person coined it. Um, I'm going to credit them for coining it, and they're going to message me if they ever hear this podcast and be like, I didn't coin it. (laughs) (laughs) But um, uh, my half-sister Sadie, I I credit them with coining it. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I bet you that it came from somewhere else, but I'm sure I'll get an email correcting me. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, that's kind of where I first heard that uh, term kind of put into like a solid state um but like uh just to explain it a little bit i think um to go back to the beginning my mom had a partner and they chose to do a sperm donation when i was born and there was only uh a certain amount of Jewish donors that would donate to lesbian couples in the nineties mm-hmm. in Toronto. And so they kind of just cycled through a lot of them. And so there's actually a bunch of half siblings out there that I'm related to, uh, by wow. blood, uh, that are all kind of from this particular sperm donor. But we weren't raised as siblings. And so I don't like, I think I only say half-sister to explain it. Mm-hmm. I think we always, ju- I think the term we always use is uh, sperm buddies. It's <laughs> <laughs> um, a cute one. Uh, which is a very cute one. And I think we also, we have a lot of found family and chosen family that I think we count uh, in our family structure a little bit more. Um, but yeah, my, that's like my mom's did, uh, sperm donation. And then when I was about a one, one and a half, um, we got into a pretty horrible accident, car accident, and we lost one of my mothers. And, uh, so I, it was just us for the first, it was me and my mom for the first like six years of my life mm-hmm. um, until uh, I actually became best friends with my brother who would become my brother. And we basically like parent trapped our parents. <laughs> so we would just like hang out all the time. And eventually like our moms hung out and then they got together <laughs> and then they got married. Mm-hmm. Um, and and then uh, uh, my brother's dad, uh, his dad from his mom's previous marriage, um, about a year into uh, uh, me kind of being in Josh's life, 
kind of basically adopted me. Um, and so I joined his family as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so my family is very huge and weird. And I think it, it hurts a lot of people's brains to like, <laughs> be like, but wait, your dad's not really your dad. You're like, that, that's the least cool thing about me. <laughs> like, it, you know, pay attention. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's my, and I think like queer spawn in terms of uh, the term, I think came out of, um, us feeling like a lot of us. And I think, um, I talk about this in the, in the podcast I made and, um, I, uh, there was kind of Sadie made put together a book of a bunch of queer um, spawn stories. And I think a lot of threads of those stories, I've read a a bunch of them is not really feeling like we're outside of both worlds, like not quite having a space in like very straight communities, but also like not inherently having a space in queer communities mm-hmm. um and but being very tokenized as children being like oh look the queers can have families and we're doing so well and then as soon as we're like not kids well what do you do with them like especially if they if you don't identify as queer at all it's like suddenly this community we grew up in is kind of not we don't really fit in those spaces anymore. And so, but, but we've spent our whole lives being raised in, in those spaces. Mm-hmm. So I think there's a lot of like that push and pull in the queer spawn community. Um, and I actually like during this last project got to um, have a lot of video chats with queer spawns across North America. Mm-hmm. And it was like, it was pretty crazy how close a lot of our opinion, like, and a lot of that, those feelings were of like really craving a community and also not feeling like we have one. And, mm-hmm. um, and yeah. And, and so I feel like, uh, queer spawn, it, it just gives us a helpful term to like label us. It also puts us, um, firmly in the uh q part of lgbtq <laughs> um mm-hmm. you know it's queer but it's also queer spawn you know you know what's crazy and, like, to me uh sorry uh you know what's no, crazy to it. me the fact that uh-huh. lgbtq community i assumed was inclusive and the fact that you're saying you feel excluded in the community is um, pretty mind-blowing because I didn't know somebody could actually feel that way. I'm going to speak from personal experience. Yeah. I yeah. have sometimes found the queer community to be, you know, like with all communities, I think it, there's very, everyone is a part of, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. There is such a, a variety of it. Mm-hmm. And I, I have definitely like 
there are sections of the queer community that are fairly transphobic. Yeah. And there mm-hmm. are sections of the queer community who are fairly racist or sexist. Yeah. Um, and I think like that those don't those isms don't like get excluded because you are also a minority. Yeah. Um mm-hmm. But I, you know, and I think that, like, that's part of it. Um, And I think it's also, like, it's hard to find, like, a place you fit at all as a person, let alone, like, in a very small minority community that already is dominated a lot of the time by your parents and the people you grew up with as um mentors and figures in your life and so that also is is part of it right it's not a just active um kind of uh, pushing from the community of pushing us out it's also like internal um waywardness yeah mm-hmm. i think that a lot uh, you know that I, that i feel certainly mm-hmm. um not to speak for the entire queer spawn community <laughs> but yeah that's that's very insightful um something that everybody should know that you know um you should make everybody feel included that whatever you are is is right i mean there there is no right and wrong but you are what you are right well and i think you know and i think we're slowly getting somewhere <laughs> <laughs> you know i my cousin is 19 and came out as trans and i don't think he would have been able to do that if he was born in my generation yeah or at least comfortably mm-hmm. right i think it would have taken him a lot longer yeah mm-hmm. um but there's still so much work to be done you know in in all spaces oh absolutely um mm-hmm. you know and and I have such a narrow view of it too. Like I've only majorly lived in Toronto my whole life. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so, you know, that's a lot of the view of just being Canadian and also rooted in this one city mm-hmm. um, and in this mm-hmm. one place in, in time and otherwise. Yeah. Um, Which I mean, you, course benefited from toronto is a huge city in canada yeah someone in a smaller town might not still feel as safe yeah. to come out as someone in toronto does and, where oh. there's and the city with you know a much larger network that you can find and meet of people just like you absolutely well and and like thankfully the internet though i think is helping a lot of people realize um, totally that they're not alone there are many other people just like you and it is fine it is safe it is okay and you are valid and loved yeah yeah and and like trying to hold that love for other people and and as well as yourself right and like 
it's always going to be scary. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I think like society has made coming out really scary. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. And as somebody who've, who's come out like 50 times now, um it gets easier um there are people in my life i still haven't come out to um and uh you know i keep putting it off and putting it off and i'm like oh one day i'll I'll get there and Mm -hmm. and it's because you build it up in the back of your mind yeah um but i you know i just wanted to to kind of hit on uh, Toronto and the queer community a little bit like it wasn't that long ago that like my mom was living in Toronto during the Toronto bathhouse riots and like mm-hmm. during that that the arrests um and so I don't know Leisha you may not know anything about this no I don't um but um I'm not going to say dates because I'm so I'm going to say something and they'll be wrong. <laughs> but um I believe it was mid 80s. Mm-hmm. Um there was a lot of bathhouses in Toronto okay. that were big hubs for the gay community. It's very like Stonewall-esque. Mm-hmm. And they got raided a lot and there was a pretty violent raid on a bathhouse mm-hmm. and it it pretty much inst- instilled a a pushback mm-hmm. from the community mm-hmm. and i think you know i don't know what the timeline was but certainly like stonewall was happening in similar times and i think a lot of things were happening in communities at similar times mm-hmm. that that pushed toronto to have that sort of pushback and and that's kind of where our pride comes from like our pride march comes from that energy and that active like activation of the community and of um you know and i speak about it as somebody who wasn't there and doesn't know any of the fucking history um (laughs) but like my mom lived through all of that like was in the city like as a queer person and and as a lesbian um at that time and so it's like you know there are still echoes of of that history Mm -hmm. um like that's not a long time ago yeah um that you know and i think you know canada gets such this reputation of like oh we're so queer friendly (laughs) but like my moms were never officially married Okay. Because when they got married, it was still illegal in Canada to to do so oh. as a gay couple. Oh. Um, and they recently became common law, so they like pretty much recently redid their will to basically give executorship, um, to each other. And I remember them going through like piles of documents when they like kind of got married mm-hmm. so that because they had two kids and a big you know a big portion of getting married is figuring out what happens to your kids and to your assets but to your mm-hmm. kids mostly and so they mm-hmm. they filled out like 
piles of documents around, like, in case one of them got hurt or what, you know, what would happen to mm-hmm. us. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, I remember those forms being, like, especially hard to navigate um, mm-hmm. for both of them. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, that was, like, in, two, like, 2005. Like, so long after they had been together for now, quite a while. Quite a while, yeah. Since like Mm -hmm. early 2000, I think they got together late, like 1999. That sounds right. (laughs) And then, like, you know, it's just, yeah. Anyway, I I lost my train of thought a little bit, but, uh, (laughs) and edit that. (laughs) (laughs) luckily you get to crop out all the parts of this interview that you don't want it (laughs) yeah totally um give yourself more work i'm gonna transition to stuff if that's okay yeah okay (laughs) so yeah i mean steph you have been exploring something recently as well um yeah about being an arrow which is a very new concept to me again because i think i live under a rock (laughs) 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 but then when you were talking about your own self-discovery i could relate to it Mm -hmm. as well yeah which i think is funny because as i sort of chose to come out as aerospec i sort of officially identify as gray romantic but i'll get into some terms in a second but these terms um, sounds like you know a superhero or something can you like <laughs> elaborate yeah. on them expand yeah. give me the expansion i mean yeah, the yeah. the arrow community gets awesome terms <laughs> <laughs> yeah so um so the arrow community has we have way more terms than I could possibly define for you, so I won't. But, of course, sort of the way I talk about it is um, that, like anything else in life, aromanticism is a spectrum. And so if we looked at the spectrum, sort of um, on one end, you have alloromantic, which is what you see a lot in society. It is two people wanting to be in a relationship, So they enter a relationship, be that monogamous or polyamorous or open, whatever sort of relationship that may be, you have that instinctual romantic attraction for others. You want to be in a romantic relationship that is considered an allo-romantic person. On the other end of the spectrum, you have someone who is aromantic. Aromantic can go as far as romance repulsion where you don't want to see it, you don't want to hear about it, you have no interest whatsoever. Um, That's pretty rare. You don't see that very often. Um, But there are definitely people who identify like that and they feel that way quite strongly. Um, Similar to asexuality, so aromantic and asexual do get confused a lot. We are both the A in LGBTQIA, um, but we're totally different. Asexuality has entirely to do with sexual attraction, whereas aromanticism has to do with romantic attraction. 
but you do often see an overlap of the two where someone will be asexual and aromantic. I myself identify just as aromantic or gray romantic, which again, going back to the spectrum, you have alloromantic on one side being interested in romantic relationships, and you have aromantic on the other end being no interest. Um, I'm somewhere in the middle, which is, I like to say, like the bisexuality of the romance spectrum is like a little here, a little there. Um, So like when I see a movie and um, you know, like it's very obvious that like, ooh, that's the attractive male lead, and ooh, that's the attractive female lead, because of course all movies are hetero based. Hmm. Um, yeah, they're like, you know, that they're going to get together, and my reaction is never like that excitement, flutteriness for the main characters. I just feel a giant eye roll. <laughs> um, sort of like almost never in my life have I had a desire to be in a relationship with someone. I I do sort of, I, I get those fluttery feelings when I'm with a person in that moment. Um, I might be like, Oh my God, wow, this is great. But like when I hear people talking about like, Oh my God, we've been dating for 10 years. Like I have like a visceral reaction in my body of repulsion. Like I just don't understand how someone could be that way and want to be that way like I, I, I just, just sort of glitch out my eyes when you said that <laughs> <laughs> yes <laughs> hello welcome to the era spectrum we're happy to have you <laughs> I've uh, um I've been happily married for two years now <laughs> <laughs> well you can stay over there Mr. Allo <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, mix aloe? <laughs> I, know. I, I, I don't know. Mr. Felt good. <laughs> um, yeah, and then I guess like the other one sort of key term that I, I would like to sort of bring up and share is anatonormativity. I think I'm saying it right. It's a word I've only ever seen written down and has way too many letters and certainly too many consonants <laughs> for me to know if I'm saying it right. Um, but that is that idea that every movie has a romantic subplot. Every book has a romantic subplot. Every song has a romantic subplot. Like if you go on the internet right now, August 8th, 2021, and you Google a romantic representation, you will find about three resources. (laughs) One is a book series called Loveless written by an aromantic person. There is one song that the aromantic community identifies with, but the singer has not expressly said is a song for aromantic representation or that they are an aromantic person. And there is like a couple other like slight references to background characters in anime series. There is never, there has not yet been one direct, specific representation of an aromantic person in any form of media. So it's really hard and really awkward to find yourself in this spectrum. I, um, I was talking to you, Leisha, when I was sort of trying to decide if it was a title I wanted to hold for myself. And I told you that it was something I'd been debating for a while. And I scrolled back onto an internet post I had made, and I found that it was from five years ago. So that's how long I had been questioning it in myself. 
because whenever, when I first heard the term and found the term, the only place I could find it was on Tumblr and everyone sounded like a child. And even still, when you read a lot of posts of people like questioning aromanticism, they're like, well, I'm 12 and I think I might've had a crush on a boy, but then he like looked at me weird and I thought, never mind, I don't like anyone. And like, maybe that 12 year old is aromantic. You know, when I was in elementary school, I never did the like dating someone for three days and never had any interest in that. Um, So I do think it sort of is something that I've known since I was a child. Um, But there was no terms for it then. And five years ago, they were just starting to get the terms. Now we have a flag hammered out and everything. And there's a bit more representation in places. But it's, it's still like a really weirdly hard thing to find the community for. And so people who are even trying to question it in themselves don't know what the heck they're questioning because romantic attraction is not talked about, you know? And if I wanted to go deeper and get into more terms, you know, there's demi-romantic and litho-romantic and you can talk about how your romantic attraction and your sexual attraction are different. So someone could be sexually bisexual, but hetero-romantic. And then it just gets you know, even more confusing. Um, But yeah, if anyone is questioning their romantic attraction, their sexual attraction, their gender identity, their anything, thankfully now the internet is like really getting big and there's a lot of places you can search to it. Um, But I don't know. I think that's... uh, uh, that's I, sort of that that's aromanticism in a nutshell yeah and you talking about <laughs> um, it spreading the word that helps yeah <laughs> thank you for sharing because i know that's a part of the community i know the least about um mm-hmm. but it like it sounds like our journey our coming out journeys have been very similar um, <laughs> is there was there a moment or like a couple of moments where you or like, oh yeah, I think that that's that's it. That's the identity mm-hmm. that feels that's settled in right. Um, yeah. Um. So I think similar to you when you sort of laughed about that hat that you had bought. Um, <laughs> that and you were like, how did I not? How did I not <laughs> accept this in myself before? Um. And this was prior to me finding the aromantic title. So I sort of don't, don't really hold myself so, so firmly against this. But um, I have actually had like, I mean, technically I've had two official partners in the past, but one I dated for literally three days and then realized that he was like very romantically attracted to me. And I was like, no, cut it off, done, over. So like that should have been a flag. Um, but then the other one is my second partner who I actually like, and I would never say anything bad about this person. Like so lovely, so sweet. Like he was just awesome the whole time. Um, but it took him, I want to say almost like, like a solid month, maybe longer of like kind of begging me to just like accept that we were in a relationship based on like we were having exclusive sex and like hanging out all the time and like all of the classic monogamy things 
So he like kind of really begged me to be in this relationship. And then when it came time for me to like accept it, say yes, we were in the relationship. And then I like had to tell my best friend that like now things have gotten more serious. We were having dinner and I just sort of looked at her and I said, so uh, me and John are like doing the thing now. She was like, you guys have been sleeping together for months. Like, what the hell does that mean? I was like, oh, oh, we're like dating. And I couldn't say it. I couldn't say we were dating. I couldn't call him my boyfriend. Like everything in my body froze. Like I just felt so deeply uncomfortable using those words because they weren't my words. They aren't words that I feel like connected and excited to use. Um, so that like really should have been a flag. Um, but then like sort of the moment that made me just sort of be like, yes, this is my title is when, um, someone I know started dating someone new and was talking about like picking up some of their hobbies from their life. And I was like, oh yeah, I I guess that makes sense. And they were like, yeah, well, if we're going to be together for a while, we should like do these hobbies together. And I just instantly was like, no, not for me together for a while. What the fuck? Why would you want that? No, no, get away. And I was just it. That's when it clicked. I was like, no, (laughs) hearing someone want to be in a partnered relationship, like that's so serious. And like, I think especially like the idea of monogamy is like, really not for me like I said I am I identify as gray romantic like I have this terrible conflict in my body where I want to want to date which I think is kind of like gay people wanting to be straight to not deal with that struggle um yeah it's like I I want I want to do the you know quote-unquote normal thing um so yeah just like hearing someone say like if we're going to be together for a while, I was like, oh, fuck no, get me away. And that's sort of when I officially was like, I'm a romantic. Because like hearing that whole build up to the relationship, like any time <laughs> I felt so bad because like they were building into a relationship. And I literally said like watching, seeing how attracted you are to that person really has confirmed how aromantic I am. <laughs> so I I do think that that was like I mean unfortunately for them it was was really good for me (laughs) I've definitely had experiences that were so straight I was like no I'm gay (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah and now I just try and like force everyone into a little arrow bubble like your arrow too (laughs) join us (laughs) because I mean that's sort of one of the really sweet things about aromanticism is like you had talked about like homophobia within the queer community and Mm. like arrow people are like we're begging to have more arrow people Just so hilarious. Totally. A little arrow blog, and they're like, please join us as a member. Please be a writer for us. We have literally no one over the age of 30. If there's anyone over the age of 30, please join us. (laughs) No, I think that's that's a part of the community that I think was actively like a rate, like, or a lot of people like 
fit into a bubble that they felt was necessary. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. I think it's, yeah. you know, that's a, a part of the community that is also, I think, harder to to make strong lines for and strong boxes mm-hmm. for. And so, you know, people don't know what to do with it. Like, mm-hmm. oh, it's weirdly fluid in here. Get it away. <laughs> it's it's like, you know it, mm-hmm. you know that's i i think partly the non-binary thing too is it's like it's all you know we have a million different like gender fluid and like uh, you know like non-conforming and all like there is a deep spectrum to it and mm-hmm. i think when it gets really hard to define people are like well then i'm not gonna even bother and you're like, we're in your community. <laughs> mm-hmm. Like, we are part of, you know. And and I think, you know, to your point, like, we've always been here. There's always been arrow people. Um, it's just, so, I think it's hard, harder for the older generation to be like, oh, that's what I, that's what it was. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's yeah. what, it, you know, I think because they weren't, mm-hmm able to identify it for themselves it's such a hard thing to um find and and because like quite honestly like anatonormativity is built into society yeah Yeah. you know like when i was five people were asking me if i had a boyfriend you know Mm -hmm. when you see little kids and you know not only is it like um the term for like forcing straightness on them but um you know you see little yes <laughs> um but they they'll be like oh he's gonna be a little lady killer and oh yeah. she's gonna totally. break hearts and it's like but the thing is you can be a whole family without having a baby you can also be a whole family without having a partner totally and it's not it's not seen you know it's the spinster lady with 60 cats <laughs> It's, it's yes. someone who is widowed and is sad to the side. It's, I only watched it recently and is still, I'm so rageful about it. Um, the movie Little Women, Joe's character, if, I don't know if either of you have seen it or are familiar with the book, um, but the main character is writing a book and the publishing company directly tells her that the, the, main female character at the end has to be married or I think she has to be married or die is her options. And the main character herself, like she literally has a speech in the middle where she's like, I don't want to be with you, Mr. Whatever, because I don't see why we need to be together. Can't we just be friends and go on as we are? And we've been so good as friends. Why does it need to be this other thing? And blah, blah, blah. And then in the end of the movie, she ends up like, kissing someone in the rain under an umbrella and it's so romantic and it's like no you just forced that character into a relationship she didn't want to be in and that's happened to a character but i'm sure that's happened to so many people you know how many loveless marriages are there in the world (laughs) you know brutal yeah um yeah so it's well is that well yeah it's exactly that like there's no representation for it either like you don't Mm -hmm. they don't get to be there isn't a single happy person over 50 in media. 
you know? Like, yeah, they're an alcoholic. Yeah, like, no one's like living by themselves in the woods, living their best fucking life in the world. Like, you don't meet like, oh, that's old man Joe. He fucking loves his life, you know? <laughs> like, it's like he hasn't taken a wife in 50 years and he's bloody happy about it like you know there's never that character right like they're or like alternately you see that they are like the workaholic who chose their job over their love life and it's like maybe maybe they accepted that they just didn't really have much of an interest in having a love life you know totally it's always seen as a negative mm-hmm. yeah which i mean to to just ramble on a little longer i think is also kind of inherently tied to sexuality you know like i said i'm aromantic but i'm not asexual mm-hmm. um i'm still a sexual being and sort of the like funny slash terrible thing about aromantic is that we do sort of fall into this I don't want to say stereotype because we don't, we aren't all this person. Um, but the, the town whore, as you will, the town, the town slut, the, uh, the dirty mm-hmm. frat boy, you mm-hmm. know, um, I, I just want to sleep around and I just want to blah, blah, blah. And, you know, that sort of gets thrust on you as well. And it's like, well, or, or I could, you know, one night stands are fine. We don't need to look at them like you're a horrible, disgusting person because you slept with someone and had no intention of that going any further. And sleeping with your friends or forming a short-term, you know, sort of platonic relationship with someone is fine. And you don't need to, you don't need to be head over heels in love with someone to have a sexual connection. Well, I think that's like toxic masculinity and sexism rearing its ugly head mm-hmm. again, you know, ruining the party yet again. <laughs> Always. <laughs> yeah. Guys, um, I think we should start wrapping up. <laughs> I yeah. have a great conversation yeah. and we can keep going on and I want to keep going on. No, please, please call yeah. it because I could talk for another hour and a half. <laughs> I was like this. I was like kind of ready to rap, and then Leisha, you were like, "Let's go to Steph," and I was like so on the brink of being like, "No, I don't want to," and I was like, "But I want to." I'm I'm so glad you you did. Yeah, it was. was, (laughs) I'm really glad. Like I'm looking at how long we've been rolling. It's Mm -hmm. so long, but I'm I'm just so glad that I I because this is not the something i generally get to talk to you about mm-hmm. um and it's nice to like have have a deeper conversation about it cuz um yeah I, I i you know i love and respect you deeply and it's nice to like learn things new things about people <laughs> that you like <laughs> we need to ramp out <laughs> mika if there was anything for yourself that you wanted to shout out um, I think we do, of course, want to send our listeners back and check out the episode that we put out just before season two released that Mika and uh, their brother had talked about being Queer Spawn and going a bit deeper on that. But if you had any other personal projects that you wanted to shout out or if you wanted to pass the mic to any other artists, 
now would be a great time for that. Uh, yeah. Um, it, as of recording this, the podcast is not officially out on the platform it should be out yet. Uh, the, we're kind of releasing it on this platform because I want it to be out in the world. And I want people to listen to it. But there are so many other artists who did a lot of really beautiful work and a lot of uh, um, beautiful creations for the, uh, for the project. Um, but it hasn't launched yet. So when it gets out of developmental hell, I will release a link through this podcast. We'll put it up uh, through this podcast and, and we'll get the word out. But it, it's still in developmental hell. I'm just deciding to release my project early because I just I want to get it out and I wanted to uh, to talk about it. And uh, I, I just wanted to shout out um, a couple people. Uh, I'd love to shout out the creators uh, and the musicians that helped me uh, with the piece. Um, so I want to shout out Makeshift Future. They're a Toronto-based band. They're phenomenal. Uh, check them out. They do amazing folk music. You can find them on Bandcamp. And C. Blue, who does uh, wonderful like uh, experimental pop music. Uh, I believe Toronto slash Montreal-based. Uh, C. Blue is awesome. I've been listening to their music for a long time, and uh, I've always really liked it. And I... I just want to shout out to, there's a comics publisher called uh, T.O. Comics. They released a couple of years ago an anthology series called Shout Out, which is a, a gay kind of anthology comics collection. And it, it came up during our conversation, actually, because they have a really beautiful comic that somebody did about like this magical world but it features two ace characters who are on different spectrums of the ace uh, community um it also has a lot of there's this really beautiful comic about um someone trying to figure out who they were in terms of their gender spectrum and talking to like an ancient god who wants uh that uh them to sell them their name and they're like I don't know if I have one that's comfortable. So I don't know if I can give it to you because I don't know what it is yet. Um, and it's th those two beings forming a friendship over that and, um, and them being the only person that ever asked uh, the god their name. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a really beautiful uh, comic series and there's a lot of really beautiful... They're, they're about like four or five pages each. They're all really good. I, I, I have it on my shelf. I highly suggest it. Cool. Thank you for that. Yeah. Thank you for joining us on this episode. Yeah. It's been great chatting Absolutely with you. honored to be here. Uh, I am daunted by how much this episode is going to take <laughs> to edit. <laughs> a big yeah, edit. this is a chunky sode, <laughs> if you will. <laughs> Um, but thank you so much for, for having me. Um, and, uh, yeah, I, I'm, would be more than happy to come back cause this was great. 
Thank you, Mika. Always a pleasure to talk to you. And so nice that these underrepresented tiny, tiny communities um, have some light shone on them so that more people can listen to it and learn about it and maybe even recognize themselves in this. Um, yeah. Thank you for listening. Thanks for listening. And join us next week for another episode. Please show us some love on Instagram at TrashBagsPod. And remember, don't be a trash bag. Be a reusable bag. Also, thanks to our sound editor, Mika. This would all be so much worse without you. Thank you.